All right, guys, well, come on in and have a seat, and uh, we are just ready to, uh, to kick things off and to get started. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, so uh, if you've got your Bibles, I wish that you would open up there. Uh, like I shared, we're going to be doing a little bit different today just because we don't have that sound, but we're going to get through this. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is a, a sermon that Jesus is kind of kicking off a brand new uh, thing he's kicking off the ministry that he's to begin he's talked to the the uh, the crowd about uh, about who the citizens of heaven would be what they would be like and today he's going to help us to see what they do and who they who they uh what they are what they are all about he's going to talk about our purpose today and so i want you to to listen close because what we're going to talk about is is why god saves us why is it that god brings us into his kingdom and, and what is our purpose? If God's only purpose was just to, to save us so that we can get to heaven, it would make sense for God to save us and the next day for us to go to heaven. Uh, but God leaves us here on this earth, and God puts us here for a purpose and for a reason. And so this is part of that purpose and part of that reason. And Jesus is going to use two objects to, in, to, uh, to emphasize what, what we are to be about. If we could summarize everything that's going to be said today in, in really one word, it would be the word influence, that we are left here to influence our world. We are left here today uh, on, this, on this earth to, um, to influence those that are around us, to influence those that still don't know Jesus Christ, to live our lives in such a way that people can see what it means to be a Christian, and then to speak about what it means to be a Christian, to speak about what Jesus did to save us and to rescue us. And so the, if you could boil it all down to one word, it would be influence. But Jesus is going to use two different objects that, um, that will illustrate what this influence is supposed to be like. He uses the, the, the object of salt and then the object of light. Salt and light were highly valued in, in that day and time, and he's going to talk about salt and about light and how those two things work. They're going to both be key elements in, in what it is that our, that our purpose is, but they're going to come at it in a different way. Salt was used as a preservative in that day. It was used to fight decay and to fight corruption. Light was used as an illuminator to light a room, to chase out darkness and, and, and to fight darkness and, and, and ignorance. And so we're going to see these two, these two objects that Jesus is going to use, salt and light. And we're going to look at how that influences what we are to be all about as believers. Um, the reason that Jesus chooses salt and light is, is that it was very prevalent. Uh, it was also very, very highly valued. It was also that, that the world's going to need salt because the world is, is growing more and more corrupt. You and I don't have to look far to see that our world is not evolving, but that it's devolving. It's not getting better and better and better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Yet man always says, well, if we could just do this one thing, then, then the world will soon get better. And we do that one thing and it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And so it's salt is a preservative. It, it helps fight the decay and the corruption. Light is this illuminator that, that fights darkness and ignorance. And, and the world needs salt because it's growing more and more corrupt. The world needs light because it's, this world is getting darker and darker. And so man is, is infected, Jesus would say, with this deadly virus of sin that apart from Christ there is no cure. This is a virus that's worse than the coronavirus. It's, it's a virus that's more deadly than the coronavirus. It's a virus that has infected all of us. And Jesus is going to talk about how that he wants to use believers to, to bring about a, um, 
an awareness of and, and uh, to bring about this knowledge of salvation for the world. Uh, pure salt would penetrate and retard corruption. Bright light's going to penetrate and reveal truth. And so salt kind of works silently. They would, they would take a slab of meat. And, and this is back before we had refrigeration, right? So you would, you, would, you would butcher a cow. And unless you could eat that whole cow tonight, uh, that meat would go bad. But they could pack it in salt. And it would help be a preservative. It would take their meat and help them to extend the, the life of that meat for a lot longer. And so salt was a, was a preservative. It kind of worked quietly. Light, however, in, in the way Jesus is going to use it, is going to be a verbal explanation. It's going to be a, a verbal thing that's going to be used to chase away ignorance, to chase away um, uh, darkness. And, and Jesus is going to use this illustration a lot. In the book of John, and in, in the Gospel of John, and then in First and Second and Third John, you see a whole lot of imagery with light and darkness. Uh, he talks about Jesus coming into the world, that he was a light of the world. Uh, and yet man chose darkness because their deeds were evil. And he talks about this battle between light and dark. And, and so Jesus is going to use some familiar terms here to be able to help. Now, both salt and light were unlike the things that they were called to influence. They were unlike the world. They're unlike the, the, the darkness. The, Jesus would say that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And so as we look at this, we're going to see how that these things play together. So Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 13 with me. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now the word you is a plural, okay? When, when he says this, he's not saying you, one person, but, but, but you, all of you who are going to follow me, all of you who are going to be my disciples. Uh, think about this. Think about taking a, a cow, butchering it, and then trying to preserve it with one grain of salt. Is that going to work? No. But you take a 50-pound bag of salt, and you begin to, to pack that meat, that can work. And so when he talks about it being plural, he's not talking about just one person. He's not talking about uh, us being a Lone Ranger believer, but he's saying we need to work together as the body of Christ. And, and not just the body of Crossroads, but the body of Christ to be able to make a difference, to be able to be preservative in this world. So you are, not that you will be one day, but, but, but as you've been recreated in Christ, you are now the salt of the earth. You are now called to be the preservative of this earth. But he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. Now let's talk about salt for just a minute. Salt in that day was, was very highly valued, especially in the Roman world. Uh, in, in the Roman mindset, there were two things that were most valuable. Light and salt. And Jesus is about to use both of those as illustrations of what it means to be a believer and what our purpose is as believers. Salt was the second most highly valuable, uh, valued commodity of that day. In fact, the Romans were known for paying their soldiers with salt. Salt would come out of the mines, and they would pay their soldiers with salt. Uh, and, and from this, we get the, the old phrase that, that, that a man's not worth his salt. If you've got somebody that's that's a slacker, that's not doing his job, that's, that, that's just loafing, they would say to him, man, you're just not worth your salt. That's because that was one of the most valuable things. You're, 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 you're worthless. You're not worth what we're paying you. So the Romans would pay their soldiers in salt who then could resell the salt and make a great profit. And so salt was highly valued in that day. It also served an extremely important function. Because there was no refrigeration, because there was no way to preserve meat, if you didn't have salt, then, then you probably didn't have meat. If you didn't have salt, then you probably weren't going to have, you may have, have meat at, at one meal, 
but you wouldn't have it for very long. It's kind of hard to butcher a, a, an eighth of a cow. <laughs> you don't go out to the cow and say, okay, we're going to take a, a, a sirloin tonight. We'll cut that out of the cow and let it keep going. You, you had to kill the cow, and when you killed the cow, you had to have some way to preserve the rest of that meat. And so in this day and time, salt was a, a highly valued, highly uh, uh, important uh, element in their day. And so when, uh, when we see this here, we see that, that uh, the people of Jesus' day, when they thought about salt, they thought about a preservative, something that would preserve and prolong uh, the, uh, the life of that, of that, of that meat. Uh, spiritually, when Jesus is talking here, he's saying that this is a believer's purpose, to slow or to retard the, the spiritual and moral corruption and decay in our world. Now, now salt worked silently. You, you put the salt on there, and it just worked its way into the meat, and somehow it would help preserve that meat. That we are to be this spiritual and moral extenders, if you will. We are to, to, to retard the corruption in our world. That we are to live in such a way as to, to help prevent the decay of society. We are called to have a, a positive influence, to have an impact upon this world. But, but here's something I need you to understand, and I, th- I think you will. Salt does no good if it stays in the salt shaker. It, it's no good, guys, if all we do is gather into a holy huddle Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but we never go back out into the world and, and spread the salt. We never go back out in the world and, and let our lives make a direct impact on other people. It, salt does no good as long as it stays in the salt shaker. Now, it looks great, but it does no good. Salt is not effective until it gets out of the salt shaker. And, and you and I are not effective just by gathering together and worshiping and singing and listening to God's Word. We're, we're not effective if all we do is listen to the Word, but we never live out the Word. And so I would encourage you today that we've got to do more than just gather in our holy huddles, but we've got to be able to make a difference where we go and what we do. Let's talk about light. In Matthew five fourteen and 15, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. We as Christians are not called to be cave dwellers. We're not called to hide within the walls of the church. We're not called to, to take our, our, our faith and to keep it hidden from the world. He says, you are the light of the world. You are a, not only the light of the world, but you are the light to the world. And light will illuminate, it will expel darkness, it will reveal truth. It fights ignorance, it fights uh, injustice. We are to be like floodlights, that when, when Christ fills us, we, we are to cast his light to the world. Now in so doing, we're going to expel some darkness. And in so doing, we're going to reveal some truth. And if we live our life out in, 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 our, in our world, if we live our life at, at work or in our community, as Christ calls us to live, we're going to stand out. And we're going to be seen like a city that's set up on a hill. We're going to be seen, and, and that's going to make some people uncomfortable. And there's going to be some pushback against that. But that's what Jesus has, has saved us to do. That is part of our purpose, is to be salt that preserves and light that exposes, light that reveals, light that casts truth out for people to come. It, it's not enough. Now listen, both of these things have to work together. I need you to follow this. Both of these things have to work together. Some, some Christians say, well, I'm just going to live a good life and everybody will know about jesus i'm just going to be salt and i'm just going to be moral and i'm going to be honest and i'm going to be kind and i'm going to be loving and everybody will just know 
that Jesus died on the cross and that they need to be saved and, and they'll know the gospel. That's part of it. But Jesus says salt and light. Light is that verbal proclamation. Life, the salt does its work so that the light then makes sense. No good in just talking about the... You ever met people that just talk about, well, praise Jesus, but they live like the devil? We've all known folks like that. In fact, some of us have been folks like that, where our talk is great, but we don't have a lifestyle to back it up. Salt and light have to work together in this sense. Jesus is using both of these illustrations because we've got to have an influence in our world, and we've got to have a lifestyle to back up what we're going to say, or what we say doesn't matter. But, but we can preach all day long without a lifestyle, and, and it won't matter. But I can go out there and love people all day long and be nice to people and be moral and not steal and not murder. But if I never let them know why I'm doing that or how I'm doing that through the power of God, then they can't put those, those two pieces together. So it's going to take both of these things for the gospel to make sense to them. And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And, and light will illuminate. Light will expel darkness. Light's going to reveal truth. It's also going to reveal, reveal deficiencies. But in this sense, light is that verbal proclamation, that, that speaking to the world, the words of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying that we are also to be verbal proclaimers of the gospel. This is why God saved us. This is part of our purpose. For light to do its job, it's got to be visible. It can't be hidden, and we can't remain silent as believers if we're going to accomplish our purpose. So Jesus used the illustration of somebody trying to build a city upon a hill. Picture this. You want to build a city, and you want to put it on a hill so that everybody can see it, right? And it's going to cost a lot of money to truck all that stuff up the hill. It's going to cost a lot of money to build a city on this prime real estate that, 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 that people would see. It's, it's costly. And, and, and Jesus is saying that nobody would go to all the trouble or the cost to build a city high up on a hill if they just wanted to keep that city hidden. Why was it that leaders and kings would build a city on a hill? Why do you think they would go to all that cost and all that trouble? Part of it was protection, right? That they could put a city on a hill and it was hard for the enemy to climb the hill and to get to them. Some, some would build their, 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 their castles up on these these. these spots that literally just dropped straight down and there was only one road up to get there and it, it was easy to defend but i think even more than that the point jesus is making here is not that that if you and i will live as a city on a hill we'll be easily defended but i think jesus is saying here if you live your life on that hill then then you're going to be visible nobody puts a, a a house on a hill a city on a hill to to hide it you put it up there to make it visible i was telling our our, our guys last night that uh, when Janet and I were dating, we, Janet's brother lived in Alamogordo. He was part of the Air Force, and he was on a base in Alamogordo. And we decided one Christmas that we were going to travel and go see them. And so we loaded up in a pickup truck, single cab pickup truck, me and Janet and her mom, and we drove like 19 hours to Alamogordo in one day, just straight through. I have never been so tired of riding a pickup truck as I was going across Texas, a tumbleweed and all. But we get to, to El Paso, and, and you, you basically drive from here to El Paso. And then in El Paso, you turn and you go to Alamogordo. And when we turned in El Paso, you could see the lights of Alamogordo. And I thought, man, we are, we're there. Oh, thank God. This has been the longest trip of my life. 
And y'all, we drove another two or three hours before we got to that city. You could see it, but you couldn't get to it. You could see it, but, but, but it just seemed like it was right there, and yet it was still miles and miles away. It was a city built on a hill that was lit up, and we were coming in at night, and we could see that city for three hours before we could get to it. We were 150 miles away, and we could see that city. That's what Jesus says believers ought to be. It ought, we ought to be this, this city that's set on this hill that's lit up for the world to see. And, and the world can look at us and get its bearings. No matter which side of the, the mountain you were on, you could, you could get your bearing and you could know where you were in relation to that light. And, and, and we are called to be reflectors of God's light. We don't generate the light. God does that. But we reflect that light to the world. And so we, we look at that and we get our bearings. Those who, who navigate the seas can navigate by stars and the moon and the sun and, and know where they are and how to, how to track. And, and we are to be that light of the world. He says a city that's on a hill. This is a fact. He's not saying if you're a city on a hill, you won't be hidden. He's saying cities on hills can't be hidden. They're, they're not built there to be hidden. That's not their purpose. And then he says neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Wouldn't it, would it would make sense to have a hurricane lamp, to fill it full of oil, to put a big, nice new wick in it, to light that sucker and then cover it with a metal wash tub? What good's that light? That thing may be burning underneath that wash tub, but what good is it doing? All we're doing is wasting the oil and the wick. It, it does no good. And this is what Jesus is saying. People don't light a lamp and then put it underneath a bowl. But instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So for light to work, it's got to be unleashed. It's got to be displayed. God didn't save us so we could hide our faith. He didn't save us so we can keep it to ourselves. He didn't, he didn't save us just so that we could go, wow, look how bright I am. That's not why God saved us. He saved us to display his light to the world. So a city in daylight or in dark, either one, if it's built upon a hill, it's going to stand out. It's going to be visible. It's going to be obvious. And somebody who's met Jesus and somebody who has Christ living in him, who's filled with God's Holy Spirit, ought to be living a life that displays to the world that Christ is living in them. Trying to be a secret Christian makes about as much sense as lighting a lamp and placing it under a wash tub. It's a waste of oil and it's a waste of the wick. So God didn't save us for us to keep that a secret. We are like beggars who were starving in our soul. And if we could put it in Louisiana terms, we are beggars who found a big old pot of gumbo. And we just want to invite everybody to come and get a bowl full. That's, that's what we are. One beggar telling the other beggars where to find some gumbo. That's what God's created us to do. And he saved us, and now he wants us to broadcast to the world what he has done for us. Not, not, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to him and what he did in his grace. So he didn't save us to keep it a secret. We're saved to tell other people. And our testimony of God's grace is used by God to push back the darkness, to make known the truth of salvation, to make known the goodness and the grace of Almighty God. In, in Matthew 5.16, he says, In the same way that, that light was meant to be displayed, in the same way, let your light shine before men so they can see your good deeds and they can praise your Father in heaven. Now, the only way that they're going to see your good deeds and praise God is if you're testifying of the fact that this is not you, but it's God. 
And not a false humility and not all that. It's, it's, a, it's an honest, truthful confession that what you see happening is not me, but it's God. It's, you, you live your life in such a way that people can look at you and they can see God. What, what God's desire is, what God's purpose for us as believers, guys, is to live our life in a way that our world sees us and goes, I need to rethink Christianity. This is changing my idea of who Jesus is, who God is, what it means to be in relationship with God. It's changing my views. We ought to live in such a way that it challenges that and it changes that. I read a story uh, written by Woodrow Wilson. And he's telling about a day that he went to a barber shop. He said, just an average day, I went to a barber shop to get my hair cut. While I was sitting in the chair, someone came in and they sat beside me in the chair next to me. And this is what he said. He said, a man came in quietly. He sat in the chair next to me and every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with my haircut, I was keenly aware that I had just attended an evangelistic service. Found out later that the man in the chair next to me was Dr. D.L. Moody. He said that day I lingered in the barbershop after he left. And I noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon that whole barbershop. The people there talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew something about that man had elevated their thoughts. And he said, I left that barbershop that day feeling that I just left a place of worship. That ought to be the way that we live our lives. Whether we're going to get our hair cut, whether we're going to work, whether we're serving our neighbor, we ought to do that in the name of Christ. We ought to do that not in flashy ways, but, but in, in ways that just salt and light. And when we leave, there's something that lingers behind that causes people to say, I don't know who that is, but I feel like I've just been in the presence of God, that I've just attended a worship service. We ought to live our lives in that way. And, and, and so Jesus encourages us to do that. He says, you're, you're salt and you're light. You're a preservative and you're, you're, you're an illuminator. You, you, you work quietly and let you work verbally. You, you live it out and yet you talk about it. It's a combination of these two things that are, that are there. And then Jesus says, look, it, there's, it, I don't want to just tell you what your purpose is, but let me tell you the danger if you don't accomplish your purpose. The danger of failing to fulfill your purpose. Let's jump back to Matthew 5.13. The first verse we looked at. He said, you're the salt of the earth. That's a fact. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you are salt. That's what God's made you to be. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Jesus is not trying to be a chemist. Okay? He's trying to be a communicator here. So don't, don't miss that. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything <coughs> except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What is Jesus trying to say? Well, you've got to understand the context of the day. In, 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 in Palestine, where Jesus was, salt was a, a, a valuable commodity. We've already established that. So people would go to the market and buy these huge bags of salt. But those who were wanting to cheat people would mix gypsum in the salt. Gypsum is what we make our sheetrock out of, white powder. 
And they would take part salt and part gypsum, mix those two things together and sell a big, huge bag of it. And they would grab that bag and they would carry it home. And when they get home, they got a, a cow that they've just killed and, and, and they're, they're trying to pack the meat. And they would take that stuff and they would pack it on their meat and they would leave it. They come back and, and cut some meat off the next day, get ready to serve it. And it would, the taste would be repulsive. Looked like salt, tasted like sheetrock. Anybody here ever eaten sheetrock besides Dalton? Becca has, I have. You work on sheetrock and you sand it and you spit white stuff for days. You blow your nose and it's not pretty. It is nasty. Ugh. This is what would happen. It was, it was contaminated. The salt that they bought many times was contaminated. And it was, it was mixed with these impurities to make it go farther and to look like you're getting more. It was a very dishonest thing, but, but it was reality. You would buy this salt and, and, and sometimes it was pure. And sometimes you get home and it was not. And he says, and, and this salt that lost its saltiness, this salt that had been contaminated, had been ruined by, by, by additives that did not belong, was good for nothing. It, it ruined the meat. And, and, and they take the rest of the bag and just, just throw it out. But when you threw it out, you couldn't just throw it out anywhere. If you threw it out in your garden, it killed everything in the garden because there was enough salt in there to kill everything. You ever made homemade ice cream? At the end of the day, you, you got that bucket full of old salty water. I didn't know it as a kid. We made homemade ice cream, and I'd take the bucket of water and throw it in the yard. Guess what it did to the grass? Yeah, mom wasn't happy. <laughs> you couldn't just throw it anywhere, because anything that salt touched, it would kill. And yet, he says, it was useless no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men the one place you could put that corrupted salt was on a pathway where you didn't want anything to grow it packed down and it would prevent grass from growing on the road and so people would take this corrupted salt and throw it out in the road and it would be trampled by men man we could unpack that for another hour but but here here's what he's saying if you're going to have a religion that's going to be contaminated by sin, impurities and things that do not belong in the Christian life, first of all, you can never accomplish your purpose. And second of all, that's worthless and it just needs to be thrown out. And it gets trampled by men. How many times have you heard people say, oh, so-and-so calls himself a Christian, but he cusses worse than me. Oh, so-and-so says he's a Christian, but he, and they fill in the blank with what this person's done. You know what they're doing? They're trampling that man's testimony. Why? Because he calls himself one thing, but there's all these impurities that are mixed in. And his religion is worthless. This relationship that he professes with Jesus Christ is worthless. And, and all it's worth is to be thrown out and be trampled on by men. And that's exactly what happens. It, it destroys, it kills the opportunity that we have to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to. And so he says, look, we are we're not just to look like salt, but we are to be salt, to be pure salt. And that which is contaminated needs to be thrown out. It's worthless to the owner. So Christians that are living in sin, that are, that are, that are contaminated by sin in their lives, and they're not dealing with it, and they're not confessing it, and they're not working through it, they're just allowing sin to reign in their lives. He's saying that, that those that are contaminated are going to be useless to the Father. They're going to be repulsive to our world. And they're going to be trampled on by other people as their testimony is destroyed. So sin takes away from our usefulness in God's kingdom. 
Hidden light, Jesus says, does the same thing. When we got saved and God placed His Holy Spirit within us, if we just want to hide and keep that to ourselves, that's useless. Picture this, okay? If you've got a hurricane lamp, and you fill it with oil, and you put the new wick in it, and you light it, and then you cover it up, and you come back two days later, and all the oil's used up, and the wick's burned up, what's the use in refilling that? What's the use in putting a whole other wick in it if you're just going to cover it up again? Why would anybody do that? And why would we expect that God would fill us again and again with His Spirit if we're just going to hide what He's trying to do in us and through us? It would make absolutely no sense at all. So what Jesus does, He says, don't hide your light and and don't let impurities come into your, your life where your salt's no good. Only those who are pure and those who are visible can fully accomplish God's purpose in this world. So what Jesus is going to do, now I want you to remember that this is a sermon, one sermon that we're going to take weeks to get through, but a sermon that Jesus preaches on the side of a mountain. And, and sometimes we break it up and we think it's just individual sermons with individual points. This is all part of one sermon. And so Jesus flows right out of this discussion on salt and light into another sermon, into another uh, section of this message, but it's the same message. And I think these two tie together. A lot of guys will split these apart and preach them as two separate things. I think they go together. So watch how this fits together. He says, you're salt and you're light. And, and so now there was, there was those that were already beginning to say that Jesus was coming to, to, to not fulfill the law, to skirt the law, to, to, to just abolish the law. That's what the Pharisees and the leaders, the religious were saying. And the reason was that, 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 that Moses had been given the law, and now the Pharisees and religious leaders had added all these traditions of men onto the law. So you got this little bitty group of law that, that God had given, and you got all these traditions of men. And, and what happened over time was that the Pharisees and the religious leaders elevated their traditions above the law to where their traditions and, and their interpretations became more important and more binding than the Word of God actually did. And so they're accusing Jesus because he didn't keep their traditions of breaking God's laws. He wasn't breaking God's laws. He was not keeping man's traditions. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I am not here to take away from the word of God. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. The reason Jesus came was to fulfill the law of God perfectly, and he did so. But I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus says the word of God was true when it was given, and the word of God is true today, and I have come to fulfill that in every, every way that, that it needs to be fulfilled. Jesus did that, okay? Unlike the Pharisees, now Jesus is turning his attention from the crowd that he's talking to directly at these Pharisees and these religious leaders. Listen to what he's going to do. He's going to tie all this together. The Pharisees had searched for ways to skirt the the true law of God. They they were the Lord of the loophole. They they found ways to get around the Word of God. If the Word of God says do this, they say, well, yeah, that's what it says, but here's how we interpret that. And they would try to get around it without having to do it. Uh, One of the things Jesus called them on was that the the, the law says that, that, that children were responsible to care for their parents. Well, the Pharisee says, yeah, that's true, but you know what? If you don't have any money, then you can't take care of your parents, right? Well, yeah, if I don't have anything, I can't give it to them. So why don't you give all of your wealth or pledge all of your wealth 
to, to the temple. And if you pledge all of your wealth to the temple, then you can say to your parents, Mom and Dad, I, man, I'd love to help you, and I would love to take care of you, and I would love to, to do all these things for you, but, man, I, just last week I gave everything I had to the temple. Now, you didn't actually give it. You just pledged it, but that was their loophole around it. And Jesus called them on it. These guys were the Lord of the loophole. They were always making a way that you could get around doing what God had said you needed to be doing. And yet Jesus says, unlike you, I've come to fulfill every part of the law. And then Jesus illustrates by his own actions what salt and light do. Watch what he does. He exposes the leader's sinfulness, that's the light, in order to prevent further decay. That's the salt. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, now, now here's the deal. I didn't come to abolish the law, 17 18, but verse 19, anyone who does, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and then teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of God. What were the Pharisees doing? Breaking the law and teaching others how to do it as well. And Jesus says, you guys think you're the greatest in the kingdom of God. In fact, you're telling everybody that you're the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, i got to tell you something. You're the least. You're not only breaking the law, but now you're teaching people to do the same thing. And you're least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, now watch this practices that's salt teaches that's light see how jesus is tying these two passages together whoever practices and whoever teaches who's ever salt and whoever's light they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you this and this was going to be the shocker this is this is his clincher point here in this in this part of the message i tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What a shocker that must have been to these people. Here, here's what was happening. The, 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 the leaders had, had elevated the traditions of the elders above the law. They were skirting the law of God and promoting the teachings of man. And so they're breaking the law and they're teaching others to do the same. And to make it worse, they promoted themselves as the examples that everybody else should follow. So they're breaking the law and teaching others to do the same. Jesus says, you're going to be the least in the kingdom. But those who practice and those who teach, those who are salt and those who are light, are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. You're living it and you're speaking it. You're salt and you're light. And then he goes farther and says, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're never going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. They had to wonder, is that even possible? Is it possible for somebody to be more righteous than our spiritual leaders? Is it possible for somebody to be greater than the Pharisees, greater than the teachers of the law? Is that, can anybody be more righteous than them? Because all their life they've been taught nobody could. And Jesus is saying something here. He's going to continually unpack the rest of his ministry. He's saying that they would need a righteousness that was greater than anything man could accomplish. The Pharisees We're trying to do the best man could do. And Jesus says, that's not good enough. And that won't get you to heaven. They needed a righteousness that was going to come from Christ and a righteousness that would be made available through the cross of Christ that was yet to come. So <clears throat> what Jesus is trying to do is to get these people to see that it was impossible on their own. Were they shocked? Absolutely. Were they right in saying, can anybody be more righteous than the Pharisees? And Jesus says, not on your own but I'm going to offer you a righteousness that comes from me. Jesus had to get them to the place where they thought it was impossible 
before they can see the need for the miracle of rebirth. You've got to get a person lost before you can lead them to salvation. Our lifestyle ought to bring conviction and go, man, there's something different about that person. They're, they live different than I live. There ought to be that conviction. But then there's got to be the gospel that helps them to see why they're in the condition they're in and, and how God put you in the position that you're in. And so we need both. We need a lifestyle that brings conviction, but we need the Word of God that brings the truth. And so these two things come together. Jesus knew that light had to expose darkness before those in darkness could see the need for something more. How could they be better than the Pharisees? Jesus just told them in this passage. It's kind of veiled, but I think it's there. Watch this. Jesus says, look, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to do that myself. I will fill the law, fulfill the law on your behalf. I will offer you salvation. I will place my spirit within you, which will change your whole nature from what you've been dark to light, from what you've been corrupt to salt. I'm going to change who you are. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Jesus says that's the way it's going to happen. So I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to impute my righteousness to you. I'm going to place my spirit within you, and then I'm going to use you. Your purpose will become to be salt and light in this earth. How do you become greater than the Pharisees? You don't do it apart from Jesus. You do it with Christ in you. And so this is what he says. You're going to be salt and light, and you're going to function in such a way, practicing and teaching the truth, because that's what real believers do. But here's the warning that Jesus gives us. He says, salt that is contaminated and light that is hidden will never fulfill God's purpose on this earth. Religion that's impure, contaminated by sin, worthless to the world and worthless to God. It needs to be thrown out. It'll be trampled by men. Those who are hiding their beliefs need to come out in the open and share with those around them. Guys, listen, our world is dying apart from Jesus. They don't just need somebody to live a moral life in front of them. They need somebody to tell them what Jesus has done. They don't just need somebody to quietly live the faith and hope they figure it out. They need somebody to put words to that and help it to make sense. Contaminated Christians and contaminated churches will never fulfill the purpose for which God's created us and saved us. When the church is more concerned about itself than its lost world, that church is contaminated. When the world influences the church more than the church is influencing the world, it's because that church is contaminated. When we are more concerned with how we appear than our true character, then we're contaminated. When we try to change God's Word to fit us instead of changing us to fit God's Word, then we're living a contaminated life. Even when we do good, but we do it so we can get credit and we can get glory instead of folks praising and glorifying our Father in heaven, then we have contaminated motives. When God places His Spirit within me and I stay quiet and don't proclaim the gospel, I've wasted that opportunity that God has given to me. When I know the truth, I know the gospel, and I don't proclaim that gospel to folks who don't know Jesus. 
who aren't living for Jesus. I've wasted that opportunity. When I see evil and injustice and racism and all these other isms that are in our world today, and I don't speak truth, and I stay silent, I've wasted an opportunity. Guys, listen. We have a responsibility to be salt and to be light. To make a difference and to speak about that difference. We are called to do that. When I know that others are dying without Jesus, and I refuse to share the gospel, it's a wasted opportunity. I pray that as believers we have not become so contaminated by our world, so tolerant of sin in our own lives and in the lives of of those around us, that we don't even recognize our sin and we don't repent of that sin. I pray that our eyes have not grown so dim that when the, the brightness of God's light shines through others that we don't say, man, tone that down, stop that. You're just radical. I pray our eyes haven't grown so dim that we can't tolerate the truth. Let me close by saying this. In Jesus' day, if somebody got a bad bag of salt, they ruined a good steak. If somebody lit a lamp and hit it, they may have broke a toe by hitting a piece of furniture. But in our day and in our time, if we fail to be salt and light, people go to hell. It's not a piece of meat. It's not a broke bone. If we are not salt and we are not light, people go to hell. And our lives are wasted. Our mission is missed, and our purpose is forfeited. We've got to be salt, and we've got to be light. We've got to live it, and we've got to speak it. We've got to practice it, and we've got to teach it. We've got to model it, and then we've got to encourage others to do the same. This is our purpose. This is why we're here. This is why God doesn't just save you and take you to heaven the minute after you got saved. There is work for us to do, and that work is to be salt and to be light in our world. And if we don't do that, then we have missed our purpose. We are not salt that's called to stay in the salt shaker. We're called to be making a difference. You know why God gave you the job that you've got? So that you can make a difference there. Do you know why why God put you with the family that you're with? So you can make a difference there. You say, well, you don't know my family. My family is horrible. All the more reason that we've got to be salt and we've got to be light. Well, if you know how my family treated me, if you know how my... That's all the more reason they need Jesus. If they were already seasoned, they wouldn't need salt. If they were already walking in light, they wouldn't need the light. The darker the world and the more corrupt our world, the more they need salt and light every single day. And the more difficult it is for us to be that. So I'm not saying this is going to be easy. Jesus never said it would be easy. He's confronting the Pharisees and saying, you're showing yourself to be the example, but you're not doing it. And and you are worthless and you might as well be thrown out. Guys, listen. It's not easy. 
But this is our purpose. And this is why we have to lean upon the Holy Spirit every moment of every day to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. It's not a righteousness of our own. It's not a light that we generate. It's us reflecting what God's already doing in us. So in Jesus' day, bad salt, bad steak. No light, broke toe. In our day, if we're not salt and light, people go to hell. Let's pray.